Welcome to our Lord's. Glad you're here. I did this a few weeks ago. I'm going to ask if this is your first or second time to visit our Lord's. Why don't you wave at me just real quick. Let, just wave at me. Look around. So welcome. We're glad you're here. Very glad you're here. And those who've been at our Lord's for a while, make sure to go over and greet someone. And it may be with social distance, but you can at least nonetheless say hi. Uh, we're in a good season at our Lord's. I like the word good. Anybody else? This is a good season at this local church. So the world is wacky right now. And there is all kinds of stuff going on. But with the people of God, it can be good. And we are in a particularly good season at our Lord's. And we're grateful. You grateful? I'm grateful. We get to meet. We get to worship together. We get to encourage each other. And it's good for a number of reasons. And one is that we're in the process of joining the vineyard movement and becoming a vineyard church. And I want to just consistently talk about that. Why are we doing it? Some of these things. And one reason is that we want alignment with a missional church planting movement. And the Vineyard Church is about 800 churches strong in the U.S., and then it's 2,400 worldwide. And we actually planted our first church about three and a half weeks ago, sent our beloved Mil Milner family to Guam, the island of Guam. And because we're experts in church planting now, <laughs> right? I keep looking for the book that you read. It's like we're in the middle of doing it. I'm calling Steve Nicholson, who's planted dozens and dozens of churches. And I said, what, what book can you read? And he's like, well, first of all, just do it. Just walk it out. You get the right people. And so the Lord is going to come through big time. And I want to give you a little report. I spent an hour and a half on the phone with them this week. It could not be going better for them. You know, they had to enter quarantine, and they had all kinds of drama. They're out of quarantine now. And now, you know what their problem is? They have so many people that want to meet, they can't do it. Why can't they do it? Because they have to honor the, the rules and the guidelines on the island of Guam right now. But they are literate. They have two alpha groups going, one with adults and one with high schoolers. And they've got well over a dozen at each. And Mike and Jennifer were telling me about this one lady who's in their f church in formation. And she has 15 people ready to sign up for Alpha. So he's like, uh, can you guys pray that we can just navigate this? Because we have an instant church on our hands. And I'm just thinking, and Mike and Jennifer are both saying... I know this isn't how it's supposed to be. You know, you're supposed to move somewhere and just work to the bone and do that for many years and maybe have one person come to Jesus and then you die and then the people come after you. And that's kind of the story of missions, isn't it? But I think that we get to see because other people have invested blood, sweat, tears, lives. They've paid the sacrifice that it paves the way. Jesus has some parables about this. The people who worked in those first hours and worked really, really, really hard are paid the same as the people that come and reap the fruit of their labor. And so it's like the Milners are entering in to the fruit that other people have sown. So I'm really grateful. 
Are you grateful just to hear that? Such a good report. Now, we do talk about hard times come. So most likely it's not smooth sailing. They will have lots of things to work through, and they've already got some things that they're navigating. But overall, they have a church that is ready to meet now. And they've been there three weeks. So really, really grateful. Another thing that we're excited about and why it's a good season at Our Lord's is because connecting with a vineyard is helping us establish some solid theological foundations. And if you've been with us in recent months, you see how important these foundations are. We are people of the presence of God, of worship, and we're people of the book, people of the scriptures. And that is something that the vineyard has helped many of us do. We, we talk about the kingdom of God, not just as a concept. Paul says the kingdom of God is not just words, but it's a demonstration of power. And so aligning with a vineyard is helping us. It's helping us learn how to do the works of Jesus in fresh ways. So we are really grateful to be in this season that we're in. We're in week four of five. We've got one more week next Sunday as we look at Romans 8, Life in the Spirit. And if you're not enjoying it, you should get your pulse checked probably because this passage can lift anyone into another place. And I find myself, we selected this text because it is so rich and so life-giving. And if you need to get saved again, read Romans 8. And so we're looking at it verse by verse, walking through this. And today we're actually going to look at verses 26 through 30, and we're going to talk about two things simply, the Spirit's help and the Father's work. And we're going to read this in just a moment. I want to let you know, too, after we finish this series, we're going to look at the Apostles' Creed for a number of weeks leading up to Advent. Why the Apostles' Creed, you ask? Because it's a very succinct summary of the gospel. And there's no better place. People have been using it for 1,600 years, and it's biblical language weaved together in a creed, and they actually used it in the early church for people going through catechesis or training or discipleship before they were baptized. They memorized this creed, and they would recite it publicly, and they would say, this is a declaration of my faith, I believe. So we're going to look at that after we look at Romans 8. Let's read Romans 8, 26 through 30 here. Do you mind uh, standing again? Is that all right? I just, I kind of like that. It's been good. Romans 8, 26 through 30, and I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. You can be seated. It's good stuff, isn't it? So we're looking again at two things in this text. We could look at many, but we're looking, first of all, at the Spirit's help. Look at verse 26. Paul starts this section here, and thank you to Esther for sharing from the last text last week. But Paul is saying, we know. He he says, likewise. What does he mean by likewise? He's referencing the, the previous passage in the Spirit of God. This whole passage is about the work of the Holy Spirit and what he does to glorify and magnify the name of Jesus. So when he says this, in the same way, likewise, he's saying that the previous section that talks about hope that sustains Christians in suffering is operating here. In the same way, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What does he mean? I think here that our weakness could mean many, many things. This week I experienced quite a bit of weakness. This morning I'm acutely aware of my weakness before God. And thankfully, this is, I haven't been able to get away from verse 26. Holy Spirit, you help me in my weakness. I've just been praying that all week. And you and I could fill in the blank here. We could be weak in many different ways, couldn't we? We could be weak in our body. could be weak in our inner life. We could be weak in what's happening here, vulnerable to things. We could be weak in many things. But Paul is talking about something specific here. What is he saying that the Spirit helps us in, in our weakness? The text says that it's prayer. So the Spirit helps us in our weakness, how? What does the text say? We don't know how to pray as we ought. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here in this text is, when you are weak, what are you to do? Wallow in your weakness? Meditate on why you're weak? Grovel and... No, you turn to God in prayer. And so if you feel weakness rise up within you, if you feel weakness come over you, Paul is saying here, You turn to God in prayer, and the Holy Spirit is there to strengthen you and to give you the strength that you don't have. This passage is unbelievable. It says in the second phrase here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Now, I want you to look over at verse 34. So Romans 8, 34 We'll look at this in the future, but Paul is doing something here. He's talking about Holy Spirit intercession, and then in verse 34, he says, Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Friends, we have two powerful intercessors. One is indwelling. The Spirit of God indwells us. 
and makes intercession to the Father through us. And at the same time, there's another intercessor, the exalted, enthroned intercessor at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying if you feel weak, if you feel susceptible, you feel burned out, you feel vulnerable, make sure that you're aware of the indwelling intercession of the Holy Spirit and then the Son of God at the Father's right hand. Now, look at what it says here. It says that the Spirit intercedes in Christians with what? With sighs too deep for words. I want to read something that I came across this morning, actually. I had things prepared, and I just had a nudge to check this one commentator out and listen to what he says. He says, through our inarticulate groans, this may denote sighing or groaning, maybe even speaking to God in the spirit with tongues. But it covers those longings and aspirations which well up from the depths of the spirit and cannot be imprisoned within the confines of everyday words. In such prayer, it is the indwelling spirit who prays, and the spirit's mind is immediately read by the Father to whom the spirit is addressed. Moreover, these inarticulate groans cannot be disassociated from the groaning earlier in verse 23 when believers express their longing for the coming resurrection glory. So friends, we have an indwelling intercessor. Do we think about that enough? Lord, I don't know how to pray. Lord, my kid is so lost. I don't know what to pray. Lord, my husband, my wife is so cold-hearted and turned from you. I don't even have words anymore. The well of words is dry. Friends, we have an indwelling Holy Spirit who prays, who gives us words, and sometimes it's groaning. Sometimes it's travail. I've been talking to the Lord about this this week and even noticing some of the work of the Holy Spirit among us in this season. And just this week, I had a friend, a high schooler, Luke Dixon, and he said, bro, I have got something happening in prayer, and I think I might freak out my neighbors. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, I don't know what is coming over me, but I am ending up on the floor wailing and groaning and praying for revival among young people praying for revival in my school, in the schools across the state. I don't know what's come over me. Romans 8 has come over him and risen up within him the Spirit of God, the indwelling intercessor who is in connection with the exalted intercessor. That is what's happening. We went on to joke, and I said, why don't you try getting a pillow? Because he's literally praying so loud that I guess it's reverberating and somehow his neighbors could hear. So I said, get a pillow and pray into the pillow. And he said, well, I've been praying into my arm. And I said, well, that works to some degree, but get you a good fluffy pillow. 
and pray. Now, we, may, we have some levity because this is heavy, but friends, I think this is where we're going in the coming days. We met with our intercessors uh, last week, and some of them were saying, Becky Hartman and others were talking about this wave that's sweeping across the world right now, and people are finding themselves praying like this in new and fresh ways. So I want to invite you into that. And it doesn't matter how old you are in the Lord or how new you are, the Spirit of God lives in you and wants to make intercession, effective, powerful prayer. And sometimes it transcends words. Why? I don't know. I tend to think that we are so limited by this thing right here. And our intellect, our mind, our reasoning is super important, but the New Testament teaches that oftentimes God does stuff that blows the mind. We never shut the mind off, but our little human intellect can only handle so much. Therefore, Luke would end up on the ground, groaning, in travail, and praying because the Spirit of God is doing something in him that transcends his little mind. Make sense? I just, I'm sensing something right here. So I think we've got some of our prayers and our intercessors, and God might be doing something in you. So I want to take a moment. Can we do that here? And if you are sensing God stirring you into some new expressions of prayer and even being willing, Lord, I, I would give myself to that. I would allow you to pray in me and through me for your people and for the lost. I'm going to ask you... Uh, to get on your knees. So if that's you, and, and if you're not able to get on your knees, my knees are kind of arthritic and it's difficult, you can sit there. All right, so I'm trying to follow what I sense the Lord leading in this moment. And if we're gonna be a church that does what the New Testament teaches and ex we're expressive in various things, I'm just gonna ask for the Lord to do something in us and we make space for this. Is that all right with you? So, Lord, I just, in honor of what the apostles' words say here, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how to pray always, Lord. So I ask today, today that you would give a fresh impartation of the Spirit of intercession to our church. Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, Spirit of intercession, do your work in us. We give ourselves to you. We pledge ourselves to you today. Teach us to pray. And I'm going to ask you, why don't you just commit yourself to, to the Lord? Say, Lord, I, I give myself to you. Take me deeper in prayer.
we receive that fresh anointing for prayer, Lord. Lord, we're your people. We wait on you. Pray that you would teach us about waiting on your presence. Here together, at home, in the car, wherever we are. Give us your heart, Lord. That's what I pray for today. I pray that you would give us your heart. Show us your heart in the coming days. Work it deep down into us. If you want to just stay in a position of prayer or you can get up, either one, it's, it's up to you. We're just going to continue to, to wait on the Lord. I'm believing that he's doing something in us individually and collectively. Yesterday, I was listening to a man who's lived this Romans 8 passage as much as anyone I know, a British guy from Leeds named Leonard Ravenhill. And as I was listening to him, I was riding my bike, he said, do you dare to give yourself to intercession? Do you dare to say, Lord, show me your heart. Let me bear your heart. And I was speaking out to him riding my bike. Yes, Leonard, I think I do. And then he began to talk about Galatians 4.19 and how the Apostle Paul looked at the church at Galatia. And he said, I'm in travail looking at you wanting to see Christ fully formed in you. That is what we're praying for, friends. We're, we're not just throwing words up or twisting God's arm. We are looking at people that God has made and loved, and we're saying, Lord, let Christ be formed in them. That's the whole focus of this. Lord, save them, transform them. It's part of our mission statement here at the church. We're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. And that formation is this very thing right here. Galatians 4.19. We long for, we're filled with fire to see Christ formed in the people that the Father loves. A second thing that this text talks about is the Father's work. And it's connected to what I was just saying. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, and the Spirit searches our hearts, and the Spirit and the Father are communicating about the very prayer that's happening inside of us, interceding for the saints, interceding for future saints according to the will of God. So I don't know about you, but I think that's a pretty good promise there that we can pray effectively in our weakness. The second thing that this text talks about, verses 28 through 30, is the Father's work. What does this actually mean? Verse 28a. This is one of those, I call it a Mardell magnet verse. We know that all things work together for good, and I don't mean that demeaning. It's just one of those things that we're so familiar with that the true meaning can slip right by us. 
you know, or we can use this as a Christian truism and share it with people at times we probably shouldn't. This is the word of God. This is the inspired truth of God, but sometimes we don't look at it in its broader context. So when Paul says, we know that all things work together for good, what are the parameters here? It's for who? For those who love God. So friends, if you give yourself to what Jesus taught, the whole of scripture comes down to two things, doesn't it? What's the first one? To love the Lord. And the second is to love your neighbor. So if you're doing that, Paul is promising that God is at work in your life to work things for good. Now, sometimes I will tell him, your definition of good looks very different than mine. When we lay them next to each other, uh, mine usually ends up in the garbage because I'm like, this is my definition of goodness. And he's like, no, my definition of goodness is work through the cross and through resurrection, and through putting you to death so that I can raise you up. And I'm like, ah, that's what I thought you were going to say. So the Father is working goodness and working things out, but he does it differently. He loves us. He's not malicious at all, but it's part of his plan. So it's for those who love God, and it's for those who are called according to his purpose. The first one is the human side. We love God. He works it out. And then this one is from his side. I've called you. I've called you according to my purpose. I've summoned you to be in relationship with me. This next phrase at verse 29 is one that we've all got figured out, right? Super easy text in the Bible, isn't it? Thankfully, I've only had a few people in recent years say, hey, can we talk about predestination? And I should just say, hey, why don't you talk to Brad or Wallace? It is a difficult mystery, is it not? I find the more that I read into this, the more I pray, the more I kneel before Scripture. The will of God, the mind of God is unsearchable. I just want to say a few things about this. We're not going to solve the deeper mysteries of this verse 29 that says that for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. I just want to say we always have to look at texts like this in the broader scope of Scripture. If you take a text like this and isolate it, most likely you will end up in some kind of false teaching. You'll end up with lopsided theology. So you always have to read texts and let Scripture interpret Scripture. You can't take what I call a biblical sound bite like this out and develop a whole construct. It becomes very problematic. A second thing that I want us to see is that this text says that God foreknew and predestined Christians for a very specific purpose. What is that purpose? To be what? Conformed to the image of his son. So the all-knowing, all-loving God of the universe determined that his children should be transformed into the image of his son. Why? So that Jesus might be the firstborn, holding the highest place of honor, as it was in the ancient world, in a huge family. So that is what this text is talking about. God has ordained and in his mind... He's called us to be conformed to 
his son's image. If you're in this room, he's calling you. Theologians will get into the weeds and debate over this and say, well, how do we know if you're called? And if you're here, you're hearing the word of God right now. The Lord's calling you. He has called you. Respond to him in love. Give yourself to him so that you too might be conformed to the image of his son. This is incredibly rich here. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. Amanda and I were talking about this, and we were remembering a time that we were in Rome. It's the only time we've been to Rome, and we did it before we had kids, thank God. And we were sitting in this square, and we watched this sketch artist at work. And this person was sitting next to the sketch artist, and the sketch artist was working from the head down. It was kind of, it was a, kind of a facial sketch here, working from the top down, and it was an exact representation of that person that was sitting there in the chair. Amanda and I were going, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like it. This is like Michelangelo stuff. This was the soul, the expression, everything was there in this sketch in a few minutes. We've never forgotten it. That is what the Father is doing with us, friends. He's looking at his son and he's saying, I am taking that image and I'm working it on the canvas of your life. He's committed to it. Hallelujah. That is what the Father's committed to doing through the Spirit of God, is seeing us conformed to the image, to the archetype, to the most beautiful human being that's ever lived. That is being worked into the fabric of our life. And God is determined to do this from eternity past. He said, Dylan, I am committed with eternal zeal and holy passion for you to be conformed to the image of my son. Friends, it's a done deal. If God determines to do something like this, we can take it in the bank, take it to the bank and in the bank too, and from the bank. So this makes me think of a, I have a, an old friend, he's with the Lord now, but he had an encounter with the Lord one time and he was experiencing the Lord's presence, and it was beautiful, and he said the Lord, it was as if the Lord, the Father, looked at him and said, how much of my son do I see in you? How much of my son do I see in you? And it's just stuck with me after many years that in this tender moment that he had, that the Father was saying, I want to see the character of my son imprinted on your life. Friends, how much of the Son does the Father see when he looks at you? It's what you're created for, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. This is good news. He has determined it. When you are low on fuel, when you're distant from him, the Father is still conforming you to the image of his Son. His love, the fruits of the Spirit, all of his character being woven in to your life. One last thing here about this text that's often misunderstood and misused. It is good news. Can I share a little historical reason of why this is good news and an application of it? Is that all right? About 500 years ago, pre-Reformation time, the Catholic Church was selling 
indulgences. An, indulgent was, an indulgence was literally a permit, and it was like a ticket for the remission of sins. Now, I love Catholics, love the Catholic Church. This was a bad hour for them, and thankfully they've had Reformation since then, but this was a dark hour in the Catholic Church, and they had people actually that were going out on the streets of Europe, including Germany, and selling these indulgences, promising that if you purchase one, that you would avoid purgatory, pre-heaven, and that you could actually buy indulgences for loved ones who were dead. Martin Luther observed this and was revolted. And he pointed to texts like this, Romans 28 and following, and he said, no church, no human person chooses who gets salvation. The Father does. And so this text became, it was used pastorally as a rebuke to people that were abusing others and misusing their authority. This is good news. The Father chooses us. We respond and say, we love you. And then he is determined with holy determination to conform us to the image of Jesus. Again, oftentimes passages like this get taken out and misused. And this is a passage about the sovereignty and glory of God. Paul says this in Ephesians 1, 4-6, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. The Father destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. Why? Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in his beloved Son. Paul goes on to say, after this passage, he links it all together. Look at verse 30. Paul lays it on and he says, those that the Father has predestined, he's called. Those he's called, he's justified. Those he's justified, he's also glorified. Friends, you know what? You know who the Father sees when he looks at you? Micah Dell, you know who he sees? He sees a glorious son. He sees his son in you already. He sees you. When Paul says this, it's as if you already are glorified. The father who's outside of time has a totally different perspective on us. He gives us the spirit, but then he looks and he says, you're a glorified saint. And then I think he says, now act like one. Friends, if this gets in your spiritual bloodstream, the distractions, the temptations, the sins fall away. I am a justified, called, glorified child of God. This is how he sees me. And I think he invites us to see other people in light of this. We are glorious creatures. Think about that. Struggling with the various things you do, self-image, these kinds of things. Friends, you are created in glory. And the Lord has in his mind to bring you to the full fruition of his glory. So Lord, I pray that you would work this into us, work this into our hearts. And I thank you, Father, that you give us help through the Holy Spirit 
I thank you that you're determined to conform us to the image of your beloved son. I pray you'd fill us with fresh worship. Amen. So what I want to do, I want to ask you this, this week to take a passage like this. We looked at verses 26 through 30 and craft some arrow prayers. Around here, we talk a lot about arrow prayers. And I already mentioned one of mine this week was, Lord, help me in my weakness. Holy Spirit, help me in my weakness. You could craft another prayer. Pray through me, Holy Spirit. You could move on to the next section. Father, I love you. You're working all things for good. Conform me to your image. So we're going to look at the rest of the chapter. You could sit with this section here. You could look ahead. Begin to pray this stuff, friends. It will change your mindset.